Chapter Eight of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Eight. As Sir Patrick was not punctual as lovers to the moment sworn, Mrs. Mowbray resolved to sit down and write immediately to Glenmurray, flattering herself at the same time that the letter which was designed to confound Glenmurray would delight the tender baronet for mrs mowbray piqued herself on her talents for letter-writing and was not a little pleased with an opportunity of displaying them to a celebrated author but never before did she write a letter so difficult a task her eager wish of excelling deprived her of the means and she who in a letter to a friend or relation would have written in a style at once clear and elegant after two hours effort produced the following specimen of the obscure the pedantic and affected sir the light which cheers and attracts if we follow its guidance often leads us into bogs and quagmires verbatim sepienti your writings are the lights and the practice to which you advise my deluded daughter is the bog and quagmire i agree with you in all you have said against marriage i agree with the savage nations in the total uselessness of clothing i still condescend to wear clothes though neither becoming nor useful because I respect public opinion, and I submit to the institution of marriage for reasons equally cogent. Such being my sentiment, sir, I must desire you never to see my daughter more, nor could you expect to be received with open arms by me, whom the shafts of your ridicule have pierced, though warded off by the shield of love and gallantry. But for this I thank you. Now shall I possess, owing to your baseness, at once a declared lover and a tried avenger and the chains of hymen will be rendered more charming by gratitude's having blown the flame while love forged the fetters but with your writings i continue to amuse my imagination lovely is the flower of the nightshade thought its berry be poison still shall i admire and wonder at you as an author though i avoid and detest you as a man editha mowbray this letter was just finished when sir patrick arrived and to him it was immediately shown heh what have we here cried he laughing violently as he perused it here you talk of being pierced by shafts which were warded off now had i said that it would have been called a bull as to the concluding paragraph oh that i flatter myself said mrs mowbray will tear him with remorse he must first understand it cried sir patrick i can but just comprehend it and am sure it will be all botheration to him i am sorry to find such is your opinion replied mrs mowbray for i think that sentence the best written of any i did not say it was not fine writing replied the baronet i only said it was not to be understood but with your leave you shall send the letter and will drop the subject so said so done to the great satisfaction of sir patrick who felt that it was for his interest to suffer the part of mrs mowbray's letter which alluded to glenmurray's supposed calumnies against her to remain obscurely worded as he well knew that what he had asserted on his subject was wholly void of foundation glenmurray did not receive it with equal satisfaction he was indignant at the charge of having advised adeline to become his mistress rather than his wife and as so much of the concluding passage as he could understand seemed to imply that he had calumniated her mother to remain silent a moment would have been to confess himself guilty he therefore answered mrs mowbray's letter immediately the answer was as follows madam 
to clear myself from the charge of having advised miss mowbray to a step contrary to the common customs however erroneous of society at this period i appeal to the testimony of miss mowbray herself and i here repeat to you the assurance which i made to her that i am willing to marry her when and where she chooses i love my system and my opinions but the respectability of the woman of my affections more allow me therefore to make you a little acquainted with my situation in life to you it is well known madam that wealth honors and titles have no value in my eyes and that i reverence talents and virtues though they wear the garb of poverty and are born in the most obscure stations but you or rather those who are so fortunate as to influence your determinations may consider my sentiments on this subject as romantic and absurd it is necessary therefore that i should tell you as an excuse in their eyes for presuming to address your daughter that by the accident of birth i am descended from an ancient family and nearly allied to a noble one and that my paternal inheritance though not large enough for splendor and luxury is sufficient for all the purposes of comfort and genteel affluence i would say more on this subject but i am impatient to remove from your mind the prejudice which you seem to have imbibed against me i do not perfectly understand the last paragraph in your letter if you will be so kind as to explain it to me you may depend on my being perfectly ingenuous indeed i have no difficulty in declaring that i have neither encouraged a feeling nor uttered a word capable of giving the lie to the declaration which i am now going to make that i am with respect and esteem your obedient servant f glenmurray the letter had an effect on mrs mowbray's feelings so much in favor of glenmurray that she was almost determined to let him marry adeline she felt that she owed her some amends for contracting a marriage so suddenly and without either her knowledge or probation and she thought that by marrying her to the man of her heart she should make her peace both with adeline and herself but unfortunately this design as soon as it began to be formed was communicated to sir patrick so then exclaimed he you have forgotten and forgiven the impertinent things which the puppy said things which obliged me to wear this little useless appendage in a sling thus pointing to his wounded arm oh my dear sir patrick but though what mr glenmurray said might alarm the scrupulous tenderness of a lover perhaps it was a remark which might only suit the sincerity of a friend perhaps if mr glenmurray had made it to me i should have heard it with thanks and with candor have approved it my sweet soul replied sir patrick you may be as candid and amiable as ever you please but by st patrick never shall sir patrick o'carroll be the father-in-law to the notorious and infamous glenmurray that subverter of all religion and order and that scourge of civilized society so saying he stalked about the room and mrs mowbray as she gazed on his handsome person thought it would be absurd for her to sacrifice her own happiness to her daughters and give up sir patrick as her husband in order to make glenmurray her son she therefore wrote another letter to glenmurray forbidding him any further intercourse with adeline or any pretense whatever and delayed not a moment to send him her final decision that is acting like the sensible woman i took you for said sir patrick the fellow has now gotten his quietus i trust and the dear little adeline is reserved for a happier fate sweet soul you do not know how fond she will be of me i protest that i shall be so kind to her it will be difficult for people to decide which i love best the daughter or the mother 
but i hope i shall always know sir patrick said mrs mowbray gravely you oh yes to be sure but i mean that my fatherly attentions shall be of the warmest kind but now do me the favor of telling me at what hour to-morrow i may appoint the clergyman to bring the license the conversation that followed it were needless and tedious to describe suffice that eight o'clock the next morning was fixed for the marriage and mrs mowbray either from shame or compassion resolved that adeline should not accompany her to church nor even know of the ceremony till it was over nor was this a difficult matter adeline remained in her own apartment all the preceding day endeavoring but in vain to reconcile herself to what she justly termed the degradation of her mother she felt alas the most painful of all feelings next to that of self-abasement the consciousness of the abasement of one to whom she had all her life looked up with love and veneration to write to glen murray while oppressed by such contending emotions she knew to be impossible she therefore contented herself with sending a verbal message importing that he should hear from her the next day and poor glenmurray passed the rest of that day and the night in a state little better than her own the next morning adeline who had not closed her eyes till daylight woke late and from a sound but unrefreshing sleep the first object she saw was her maid smartly dressed sitting by her bedside and she also saw that she had been crying is my mother ill evans she exclaimed oh no miss adeline quite well replied the girl sighing thank god replied adeline the girl sighed still more deeply but why are you so much dressed demanded adeline i have been out answered the maid not on unpleasant business that's as it may be she cried turning away and adeline from delicacy forbore to press her further tis very late is it not asked adeline and time for me to rise yes miss i believe you had better get up adeline immediately rose give me the dark gown i wore yesterday she said i think miss you had better put on your new white one returned the maid my new white one exclaimed adeline astonished at an inference so new yes miss i think it will be taken kinder and look better at these words adeline's suspicions were awakened i see evans she cried you have done something extraordinary to tell me i partly guess i my mother here unable to proceed she lay down on the bed which she had just quitted yes miss adeline tis very true but pray compose yourself i am sure i have cried enough on your account that i have what is true my good evans said adeline faintly why miss my lady was married this morning to sir patrick o'carroll mercy on me how pale you look i am sure i wish the villain was at the bottom of the sea so i do leave me said adeline faintly struggling for utterance no that i will not bluntly replied evans you are not fit to be left and they are rejoicing below with sir pat's great staring servant but for my part i had rather stay here and cry with you than laugh with them adeline hid her face in the pillow incapable of further resistance and groaned aloud who should ever have thought my lady would have done so continued the maid only think miss they say i doubt it is too true that there have been no writings or settlements i think they call them drawn up and so sir pat have got all and he is overhead and ears in debt and my lady is to pay him out on't at this account which adeline feared was a just one as she had seen no preparations for a wedding going on and had observed no signs of deeds or anything of the kind she started up in an agony of grief then has my mother given me up indeed she exclaimed clasping her hands together 
and the once darling child may soon be a friendless outcast. You want a friend, Miss Adeline, said the kind girl, bursting into tears. Never while I live or any of my fellow servants. And Adeline, whose heart was bursting with a sense of forlornness and abandonment, felt consoled by the artless sympathy of her attendant, and giving way to a violent flood of tears, she threw her arms around her neck and sobbed upon her bosom. Having thus eased her feelings, she recollected that it was incumbent on her to exert her fortitude, and that it was a duty which she owed her mother, not to condemn her conduct openly herself, nor suffer any one else to do it in her presence. Still, at that moment, she could not find in her heart to reprove the observations by which, in spite of her sense of propriety, she had been soothed and gratified. But she hastened to dress herself as became a bridal dinner, and dismissed as soon as she could the affectionate Evans from her presence. She then walked up and down her chamber, in order to summon courage to enter the drawing-room. But how strange, how cruel it was, said she, that my mother did not come to inform me of this important event herself. In this respect, however, Mrs. Mowbray had acted kindly, reluctant even more than she was willing to confess to her own heart. To meet Adeline alone, she had chosen to conclude that she was still asleep, and had desired she might not be disturbed. But soon after her return from church, being assured that she was in a solid slumber, she had stolen to her bedside and put a note under her pillow, acquainting her with what had passed. But this note, Adeline, in her restlessness, had, with her pillow, pushed on the floor, and there, unseen, it had remained. But as Adeline was pacing to and fro, she luckily observed it, and by proving that her mother had not been so very neglectful of her, it tended to fortify her mind against the succeeding interview. The note began, My dearest child, to spare you in your present weak state the emotions which you would necessarily feel in attending me to the altar, I have resolved to let the ceremony be performed unknown to you. But, my beloved Adeline, I trust that your affection for me will make you rejoice in a step which you may, perhaps at present, disapprove, when convinced that it was absolutely necessary to my happiness, and can in no way be the means of diminishing yours. I remain your ever-affectionate mother. She loves me still, then, cried Adeline, shedding tears of tenderness, and I accused her unjustly. Oh, my dear mother, if this event should indeed increase your happiness, never shall I repine at not having been able to prevent it. And then, after taking two or three hasty turns around the room, and bathing her eyes to remove a degree the traces of her tears, she ventured into the drawing-room. But the sight of her mother seated by Sir Patrick, his arm encircling her waist, in that very room which had so lately witnessed his profligate attempts on herself, depriving her of the little resolution which she had been able to assume, and pale and trembling, she sunk speechless with emotion on the first chair near her. Mrs. Mowbray, or, as we must at present call her, Lady O'Carroll, was affected by Adeline's distress, and hastened to her, received the almost fainting girl in her arms, while even Sir Patrick, feeling compassion for the unhappiness which he could more readily understand than his bride, was eager to hide his confusion by calling for water, drops, and servants. I want neither medicine nor assistance now, said Adeline, gently raising her head from her mother's shoulder. The first shock is over, and I shall, I trust, behave in future with proper self-command. Better late than never, muttered Lady O'Carroll, on whom the word shock 
had not made a pleasant impression while sir patrick approaching adeline exclaimed if you have not self-command miss mowbray it is the only command which you cannot boast for your power of commanding others no one can dispute who has ever had the happiness of beholding you so saying he took her hand and as her mother's husband claimed the privilege of saluting her a privilege which adeline though she almost shrunk with horror from his touch had self-command enough not to deny him immediately after he claimed the same favor from his bride and they resumed their position on the sofa but so embarrassing was the situation of all parties that no conversation took place and adeline unable any longer to endure the restraint to which she was obliged rose to return to her own room in order to hide the sorrow which she was on the point of betraying when her mother in a tone of reproach exclaimed it grieves me to the soul miss mowbray to perceive that you appear to consider as a day of mourning the day which i consider as the happiest of my life oh my dearest mother replied adeline returning and reproaching her it is the dread of your deceiving yourself only that makes me sad at a time like this if this day and its consequences prove a happy one and wherefore should you doubt that it will miss mowbray miss mowbray do you doubt my honor cried sir patrick hastily adeline instantly fixed her eyes on his face with a look which he knew how to interpret but not how to support and he cast his to the ground with painful consciousness she saw her triumph and it gave her courage to proceed oh sir she cried it is your power to convert all my painful doubts into joyful certainties make but my mother happy and i will love and bless you ever promise me sir she continued her enthusiasm and affection kindling as she spoke promise me to be kind and indulgent to her she has never known contradiction she has been through life the darling object of all who surrounded her the pride of her parents her husband and her child neglect injury and unkindness she would inevitably sink under and i conjure you here she dropped on her knees and extended her arms in an attitude of entreaty by all your hopes of happiness hereafter to give her reason to continue to name this the happiest day of her life here she ceased overcome by the violence of her emotions but continued her look and attitude of entreaty full of such sweet earnestness that the baronet could hardly conceal the variety of feelings which assailed him amongst which passion for the lovely object before him predominated to make a jest of adeline's seriousness he conceived to be the best way to conceal what he felt and while mrs mowbray overcome with adeline's expressions of tenderness was giving way to them by a flood of tears and grasping in both hers the clasped hands of adeline he cried in an ironical tone you are the most extraordinary motherly young creature that i ever saw in my life my dear girl instead of your mother giving the nuptial benediction to you the order of nature is reversed and you are giving it to her upon my soul i begin to think seeing you in that posture that you are my bride begging a blessing of mamma on our union and that i ought to be on my knees too so saying he knelt beside adeline at lady o'carroll's feet and in a tone of mock solemnity besought her to bless both her affectionate children and as he did this he threw his arm around the weeping girl and pressed her to his bosom this speech and this action at once banished all self-command from the indignant adeline and in an instant she sprung from his embrace and forgetting how much her violence must surprise if not alarm and offend her mother she rushed out of the room and did not stop till she reached her own chamber 
when there she was alarmed lest her conduct should have occasioned both pain and resentment to lady o'carroll and it was with trembling reluctance that she obeyed the summons to dinner but her fears were groundless the bride had fallen into one of her reveries during sir patrick's strange speech from which she awakened only at the last words of it viz affectionate children and seeing sir patrick at her feet with a very tender expression on his face and hearing the words affectionate children she conceived that he was expressing his hopes of their being blessed with progeny and that a selfish feeling of fear at such a prospect had hurried adeline out of the room she was therefore disposed to regard her daughter with pity but not with resentment when she entered the dinner-room and adeline's tranquillity in a degree returned but when she retired for the night she could not help owing to herself that that day her mother's wedding-day had been the most painful day of her existence and she literally sobbed herself to sleep the next morning a new trial awaited her she had to write a final farewell to glenmurray many letters did she begin many did she finish and many did she tear but recollecting that the longer she delayed sending him one the longer she kept him in a state of agitating suspense she resolved to send the last written even though it appeared to her not quite so strong a transcript of her feelings as the former ones whether it were or not glenmurray received it with alternate agony and transport with agony because it destroyed every hope of adeline's being his and with transport because every line breathed the purest and yet most ardent attachment and convinced him that however long their separation the love of adeline would experience no change many days elapsed before glenmurray could bear any companion but the letter of adeline and during that time she was on the road with the bride and bridegroom to a beautiful seat in berkshire called the pavilion hired by sir patrick the week before his marriage of one of his profligate friends as the road lay through a very fine country adeline would have thought the journey a pleasant one had not the idea of glenmurray ill and dejected continually haunted her sir patrick appeared to be engrossed by his bride and she was really wholly wrapped up in him and at times the beauties of the scenery had power to engage adeline's attention but she immediately recollected how much glenmurray would have participated in her delight and the contemplation of the prospect ended in renewed recollections of him End of chapter eight recording by pam moscato